Well, comedy is the art of taking serious things not so seriously. At least that's how vulture writer and podcaster Jesse David Fox sees it. He considers comedy a true art form with the power to connect people, inspire social change and relieve tension. Comedy is also the love language for millennials and Gen Z on social media. And Good One, a podcast about jokes, is Jesse's popular podcast that celebrates comedians who he calls the new ombudsman of society. He makes the case for comedy as art in his new book, which is called Comedy Book, How Comedy Conquered Culture and the Magic That Makes It Work. And Jesse David Fox joins me now. Hi there. Hi, Jesse. Um, Introducing you there, I can't help but think of Jerry Seinfeld, who's on my mind at the moment because he's coming to New Zealand uh, at Mm. extortionate ticket prices. And one of your early early podcast interviews was with him live. And I... I think he would kind of scoff at some of the stuff I just said. He loves jokes, Mm -hmm. and I suspect that he thinks they are just jokes and that he is not changing the world. Well, he definitely doesn't think he's changing the world. I don't think he could allow his brain to accept that he's changing the world. (laughs) He he would accept they're an art. You know, I think when we first spoke, part of our conversation is about, you know, is it art or not? And I think the... His the fact that he was wrestling with it mm. alone was part of the inspiration for like my entire career, but he said something to the effect of like you know it is as much art as anything else. You're expressing yourself, but there is parts of the life of a comedian, especially a stand-up comedian, that are so unglamorous, that are so unserious that it's it it is sometimes hard to consider it an art. You know, like the idea of I think he said that. When you know when the audience is getting drunk to make the comedian seem funnier, it's hard to think of it as an art. <laughs> um, so I th- and I think he's just sort of probably so removed from the more arty comedians of today that he he might not know that. But well, I have no idea what would happen if he heard that, or if he you know God forbid read my book. Yeah, although him talking about um, an audience getting drunk, he is the ultimate believer that the situation is just an excuse. For a comedian, you know, people complain about. I don't know if you've seen his documentary, The Comedian. People complain, oh, the guy who was on before me ruined the crowd, or you know, the conditions weren't perfect. Whatever. He's got no patience for that. He thinks <laughs> if you're good enough, you will do well. Yeah, it's you know the thing about Jerry Seinfeld is all of his theories of comedy are built around being Jerry Seinfeld, who was an extremely talented, good, successful comedian. So he. It's easy for him to be like, well, if you just write perfect jokes, then it doesn't matter what the crowd is like. It's like, well, maybe it just didn't matter for you or it hasn't mattered for you for the last like 30 years. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I understand where. So I understand where he's coming from. Um, I think sometimes the audience is just not doing their their part. And, you know, part of my goal is like, look, I, 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 I want comedians to aspire for better to aspire for greatness and i want audiences to be better to be a little bit more knowledgeable to bring more of themselves because i do think bad audiences like can result in worse comedy yeah you so you maybe don't have to meet the comedian halfway but you have to understand what being an audience member is and that's not folding your arms and saying well i paid my money now now make me laugh it's like hey We'll give you a little bit of something knowing that you will perform better if we're there with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think one of the things I often push back is this idea of the comedian as being part of the service industry that, you know, especially in in the States, the modern comedy club was really 
more of the restaurant industry than the entertainment industry. They were, you know, the comedian was just a way to get people to sell right. food and yeah. drink, right? So that, um, I believe that um, the Mark Maron quote is something like corporate comedy clubs result in corporate comedians or something like that, which mm-hmm. is essentially like the comedian was more of an extension of the wait staff and the kitchen staff than they were someone you would expect to see like a movie star or a director. And I think that has, that relationship persists a little bit to today. And, you know, I think a lot of comedians are always in the sort of position of pushing back, which is like, no, I am not here to just do whatever you think comedy is. I'm here to sort of express myself. And I, you know, I want you to have a good time, but like, you know, I think just the understanding of the comedian is an individual and not the comedian is an extension of whatever the audience demands of him, you know, or her or them is is a notable distinction. Um, just hearing you talk about the history of stand up there, and sorry, I'm jumping all over the place because it's a favorite topic of oh, mine. Yeah. But um, Mrs. Maisel, did you watch that show, which was set in the 1950s and early 60s? I think uh, she played a, a yes. female stand up yeah. in New York, and I wondered what your uh, impression was of that show and as a comedy nerd which i hope you don't mind me calling you did, did you did you find sure, it a, uh, an interesting and fulfilling experience to see that era in comedy dramatized in that way it was interesting because a- as a person who knows a little bit about that time i knew the things that they got wrong and got right and it was sort of this weird thing of you know, essentially giving Mrs. Maisel sort of superpowers as a comedian mm-hmm. at a time where comedy was not treated that way. And there was something about her act that was extremely progressive in, in terms of just sort of craft, in terms of her looseness on stage, felt like very much like a modern stand-up comedian. Yeah. So to see that happen in the late 1950s was anachronistic. But the thing that I sort of found interesting as the show went on is, you know, the show was somewhat inspired by uh, Amy Sherman Palladino's dad was a stand-up comedian at that time. Huh. And, you know, Mrs. Maisel was inspired by her dad. And the thing that I found, I noted when I interviewed her, I was like, well, Mrs. Maisel doesn't seem like to be a particularly attentive parent. <laughs> and then you realize the show is not necessarily a full tribute to her dad. The show is sort of like a sh- about the compromises a person might make to be mm. famous. And in that way, I found the show to be quite fascinating because you're like, oh, Mrs. Maisel isn't a superhero. She isn't a perfect mom and a perfect comedian. She kind of is only a perfect comedian and it's kind of a terrible mom. And in that way, I thought the show was quite interesting. You're such an encyclopedia of, of comedy and com- <laughs> co- comedy quotes. And I know this is a very basic question, but I have to ask it. You must have got so close to actually wanting to give it a go yourself, surely. I know that's not what you're here for, but you know so much about it. You've sure. thought about it so hard. You've been in these clubs. You know, it, it's there within your grasp, Jesse. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I considered trying stand-up much more before I ever wrote about it. I think when I was just, when I didn't, what before I became a writer professionally, when I was maybe just sort of like writing a personal blog, and I was just, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I think I was like, maybe I should be a stand-up. I kind of know how it works. And as I learned more, I sort of realized one, I'm I'm not a performer, and like one can appreciate comedy, and 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 not perform. And I also think I I got a better sense of what it takes to be a stand-up, and that lifestyle didn't really appeal to me. <laughs> and um, and I was just like, 
if I can be creative and be immersed in this world without having to sort of do the life, then that's great. And so I think also I write about the story in the book, but I did try stand up once and it wasn't sort of because, oh, if I'm supposed to critique it, I should know yeah. what it's like. I, I I don't believe in that at all. I think that's a misnomer. But I I I have experience as a comedy writer. You know, I I've written uh, pilot scripts and um, I had a sh- I had multiple kind of shows in development. And as a comedy writing partner, who I would send certain jokes to, maybe to sort of convince her to do it because she is mm. a stand up, and she's like, just do stand up. <laughs> so, um, and and she helped. She's like, here's a show. We'll do the show. And so, um. It was a leather jacket themed stand up show. And it's hard, it, which just meant like do a certain sort of macho comedy oh, yeah. that you might not otherwise. But again, I was in stand up. So what I know. And um, long story short, it went okay. But there's one joke I told that got a, a larger laugh, like the type of laugh that I had been hearing about my entire career where I've been following comedians and listening to their origin stories. Yeah. And it's usually a story that goes, the first time I went on stage, it went great, or I got a laugh, and then I realized I could never stop doing this, or some version uh-huh. of that story. And I got a laugh, and I go, okay, well, now I, that's, it, it was just sort of like a non-feeling. <laughs> it was just, it, it wasn't bad. I wasn't like, I hate this. Yeah, it wasn't it was fuel, though. Like, I just was just sort of like, okay, well, that's interesting. Huh. I... And so then I just was like, all right, I ended, you know, um, the comedians that were there was like, good job. I was like, okay. You know, like I didn't really get any, there was no pride to it. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know if all comedians are comedy fans. I think a lot of comedians are, I think, but a lot of comedians are, are fans of being funny themselves. And I think I don't have that as no, I was about to say I don't have that. I do have that. I do have a desire to be funny, <laughs> but I don't know if I have a desire to sort of be in front of people while they're laughing. Yeah, maybe you don't need it, uh, and I think comedians yeah, I mean, sometimes a, need it. Yeah, there. You know, that's that time I interviewed Jerry Seinfeld. The story that he often tell is about. I asked him something about um, starting comedians in cars getting coffee, and he said I didn't want to do a late night show because I only like talking to comedians, and he said it very definitive. Yeah. And I was there talking to him not a comedian yeah that's right and there's a pause where we sort of looked at each other and he sort of looks at me and goes well you're doing a great job so far (laughs) you know so they get that gets a laugh and then i say well it's still early right (laughs) which is the worst joke but also clearly i understood what how comedic structure works and i got a little laugh and that alone i could see his eyes Mm -hmm. light up and his posture change he goes this person gets it cool so now i ask him a question and instead of just sort of looking to me and answering, he's now answers to the audience and he's on it. He's now he's like, you know what? I'm not going to sleepwalk through this. I'm going to bring it. And he crushes as much as Jerry Seinfeld can crush, which is as much as anyone can ever. Yeah. Crush. And I'm there next to it. Right. So it feels amazing. But I'm not feeling I wish I was the one doing this. I no, but, no you, but you, the, there's value in being the guy who can unlock it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And maybe, maybe maybe that's the side story, which is like I learned that I'm happy to be the guy next, unlocking it as much as I uh, – more so than I would be the person doing it. 
Uh, for people who have just tuned in, and- by the way, sorry, for people who have just tuned in, I'm talking to yep. Jesse David Fox, who is a writer for Vulture. He's got a podcast called Good One, a podcast about jokes, which is highly recommended. Pax Asadi was on our show, The Comedian, uh, a couple of years ago, and he recommended the podcast. Now, basically, comedians take a joke that they are famous for or beloved for, uh, and they pulled it apart. Uh, Jesse also has a new book called Comedy Book, How Comedy Conquered Culture and the Magic That Makes It Work. Who are the people who made you laugh, Jesse, who, who made you interested in comedy and, and, and you know, who do you love? Yeah, yeah. So there's, I'd say there'd be two waves. There was sort of like the my comedy fandom as a child, which was sort of like my dad showed in Living Color. I don't know if there was a... Yeah, we had that. Color over there. Early Jim Carrey, yeah, so Jennifer Lopez, yeah, yeah. I think, but uh, also the Wayans brothers mainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was obsessed with that. And then after in Living Color, The Simpsons aired, and then The Simpsons became my favorite thing that's ever existed. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say like... Um, you know, it just, it became my everything. And, and, and the benefit of the Simpsons is it's like a depository of all of Western culture. So then I sort of got a view of both sort of where humor was up to that point and sort of how to perceive America and perceive the world. Um, and then comedy central started in the nineties when I was sort of like right at the age to watch something like that. And I've seen a lot of stand-up comedians and, the sort of I love Chris Rock, I love Seinfeld, and then there was this comedian Greg Giraldo, yeah, who I knew from the roast, and he was just so funny. He had one joke that it that it just was I was repeated over and over. Go on, talk to me, to talk myself. to me. Um, the joke was I saw I was on a date and with and the woman I was with gave money to a homeless person, and I said to her, "Don't you know?" All he's going to spend money on is uh, drugs and alcohol. And then I realized that's all I was going to spend <laughs> the money on or something like that. Yeah. And then so through him, I watched uh, uh, and because it was on after the Daily Show, which was huge for me. I watched Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, yeah. which then exposed me to the comedy seller. So then I started going to the comedy seller as a kid. Wow. And then I learned a lot of comedians from there. However, going to there a lot, I realized there's a certain, I started getting tired of stand-up because it felt kind of hacky. Yeah. You can kind of see the, and and I sort of learned my aversion to club comedy from that. So that, then that, I that, sort of that, refelt. That, and that's something yeah. that, um, actually Steve Martin talks about that in his book Born Standing Up, but that as a comic, yeah. if you perform on the road a lot, you start to learn that a certain rhythm of language will elicit a pretty good laugh. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if, and, yeah. And, and bringing up certain subjects that you know will yeah, have yeah, yeah. to it. Yeah, and smoke so marijuana, get of... the munchies, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so then I kind of fell out a little bit, and then I years later fell back in. My friend took me to a show that was called Comedy Death Ray, which is a weekly show in LA. Um, it then became a podcast, and the podcast uh changed its name to Comedy Bang Bang. But through that show, I was exposed to sort of what would you would call the second or third wave of uh, American alternative comedians. So that first night I saw Hannibal Burris. He told a joke that I just, I don't, it's not even that good of a joke, but it was like, oh, this is a different rhythm. This is a different type of comedy. Mm. I'm, you know, then Kyle Kinane, then Christian Shaw, I was obsessed with. And, and, and that was really what reignited was seeing people who expanded my idea of what comedy was. Yeah. Um. So, and then, and then it was sort of, off to the races from that point on. Where it was just sort of now there's you know, like really I was like, 
who are all these people who can I learn more about? And, you know, thankfully there has yet to be, you know, periodically I'll be like, there's no new comedians. There's nothing new to do. Yeah. And then I'll just see someone new and I'll be like, oh, thank God there, this will never end. And what do you just say? Are you a, are you an elder millennial as, as one comedian? I, puts yes. It? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm an elder millennial. And, and the I am uh, 85. <laughs> so I think I'm, Two years in, but I'm a true elder millennial. Okay. And the former head of Comedy Central's research told you that for millennials, comedy is like music was to previous generations. What did they mean by that? I think it's a few things. One, it, I, it's how the generation uses comedy to express oneself and to identify, right? So it is, they have a clip of a comedian, right? And that that's part of it. The idea that comedian comedy could be clipped. And you go, that, this expresses me mm. and i think in previous generations people would have a song and go this expresses who i am yeah and and they will they'll use comedy in terms of how they conversate where they're like oh this joke or now you know memes sort of express how i'd be talking in a way that i think lyrics and stuff like that did generation past and you know you'll see it sorry and you'll see it with the sort of um how would i put it you and since we spoke the amount of comedians that you could say exp- capture the feeling of large audiences has only increased. You know, I was talking to her for this piece I wrote about the second comedy boom and, or what I call the second comedy boom. And even at that time, I had some people in the industry being like, I don't know. I think it's over. I think this is the top and it's about to decline. And Everyone who's successful at this point, this was 2012, 2013, that's it. That's who's going to be successful. And they're proven incorrect. And it's just every new year, there's a new person who becomes the mouthpiece for a large amount of people to a point where I, I don't think comedy booms exist because, at least not anymore, because there just sort of is this feeling of like comedy is so enmeshed in how young people exist that you can't cut it out. It can't be like, ah, that's a fad. No, that's just sort of part of our everyday life. It's how we process getting older. It's how we process the world that is becoming increasingly complicated and politics that's becoming increasingly uh, dire. Is it, And it's changed a lot um, what you are allowed, permitted to do on stage and, and what the purpose of that platform is. I mean, I'm a bit older than you and so probably old enough to be a bit nostalgic for the the days when comedians just got out and and, and told jokes and, and now it seems not everyone but a lot of people have a message or it's a way of processing something or a way of talking about quite traumatic or tough stuff. Mm. But we still call that stand-up, don't we? Or do we? I do. Mm. Uh, well, I, I still call it comedy. I, I, and I, I, it's an evolution, huh? Yeah, it's an evolution. I think it, it's also... This is sort of where regionalisms of, the, of how stand-up evolved become complicated. Because, yeah. like, I can't, you know, in America, stand-up started as a sort of nightclub out tradition. So when things become theatrical, it is still an extension of the nightclub out. The people who are doing it are people who started in some version of clubs. So to me, it's, like, undeniably the same trajectory um, where... I know in different English-speaking countries where it came out of a more theater tradition and there's fringe festivals, blah, blah, blah. It might be slightly different. But I'll speak just from my perspective in America, which is in the past, we have afforded 
are great comedians, the sort of top echelon comedians, and uh, the luxury to not be funny for an hour. Meaning, they, we gave them time in their sets, some of them if they wanted to, to maybe just talk about whatever. Or, oh, we're here for an hour and a half? Tell a 20-minute story. We are here to listen. We don't need hard jokes every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. If anything, those hard jokes might distract us a little bit from the story. And because of that, younger comedians are like, well, that's kind of the thing that I want to do. And the audience is like, well, that's the kind of thing we like. We don't need you necessarily to only do to only do cheap jokes. If your art is to express something complicated about your life, like go for it. Like it's been a little bit more normalized to talk about mental health, to talk about identity in these ways. And it is just expanding the form. And I am pro anything that expands the definition of what stand up is or comedy is. So that's why it's important for me to like call it stand up, call you know, Nanette stand up, call what Gerard Carmichael does stand up. Because if you don't, and you just call it something else, then all you're doing is saying stand up is this one thing. And I think so many of the problems with stand up is this desire to paint it in a smaller and smaller box huh. where it's just a person saying one liners. Yeah. And, and when you judge all, you know, and I think that's a limited art form. I think if you go to enough, if you see enough, you know, what I would call hack, hacky comedians, hack comedians kill with kind of worse material. Yeah. It degrades what just getting laughs. Uh, the, it degrades the value of just getting laughs. And, you know, I go comedy is subjective, stand up comedy is subjective, except for Richard Pryor's The Greatest That Ever Did It. That is the one objective <laughs> proof. Like, if you operate, and, and I, I have now evolved to say the two greatest comedians ever, Richard Pryor and then Maria Bamford, and then everything else is up to debate. And that means if Richard Pryor could have moments of pathos, could have moments without laughs, while also being able to do everything else, then that's the standard. Now, if you want to have it have a little bit more of a narrative, great. We have patience for it. That's good. It's better to have an audience with patience. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's... It, may, it might look different, but like the stand-up of the 70s looks so much different from the stand-up of the 40s when people weren't even doing material about their own lives. It so, is actually, it's 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 much harder yeah. to laugh at stand-up of the 70s and 80s and even 90s now, right? You watch and that's, for some yeah. reason it's it's just, it leaves you a bit cold. Yeah, it, you know, that's the beauty of stand-up and, and comedy in general is it, is its timeliness. You know, that it is best exactly when it hit the exact moment it should like, and that's that stylistically and and subject matter wise too huh yeah yeah just everything like the the moment it is the perfect time to talk about which might not be the day you write the joke it might be in three months when everyone's most on whatever it is yeah. there's a perfect time for a joke to be told and blah, blah blah that's beautiful but as a result the value of that joke dec- decays <laughs> at a decent rate and yes it makes it sort of hard to tell the story of comedy because I can tell you how important Shelley Berman is or whatever. Mm. And you just would not be able to understand. It just could, you know, like Lenny Bruce is the most extreme example. Like if you played Lenny Bruce for a 14 year old or a 15 year old, they won't like even understand <laughs> why he talks that way, let alone that he was a stand up comedian. So, and that's, that's fine. Like where, 
you can listen to music from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. You can look, you could read books from whenever. You can look at yeah. paintings from a thousand <laughs> years ago. Um, oh, well, and, that's, that's, so, something, yeah. that's something to love about comedy, right? It's not a uh, weakness, it's a feature. Um, we're, uh, I go all day with you, Jesse, but we're out of time. Um, the podcast is called Good One, a podcast about jokes, and Jesse's book is called Comedy Book, How Comedy Conquered Culture and the Magic That Makes It Work. Really, um, really grateful for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a true blast.